I got reminded of that just a few weeks ago. You don't want to take anything for granted. So uh, just be appreciative. And I know a lot of times we like to see more done in our own lives with our family and even church from the church perspective. And we all, we're always trying to advance. I understand that's our makeup, especially as Americans. Sometimes we can get so caught up in thinking what's the next thing and not take time and be thankful for everything God's done already. And uh, that's how I want us to start tonight. Uh, we want to see God's kingdom and we want to see everything done that He's planned. He don't really need our plans. <laughs> God, uh, tell your neighbor, God don't need your ideas. God ain't... God's, uh, we welcome all of you that are watching us tonight around the globe. Those who get this podcast, everybody needs to hear what I'm getting ready to say. God don't need our ideas. My ideas aren't any good for me most of the time, let alone anybody else. God needs us to stick and follow his plan. I, God's not in heaven looking down here saying, oh, why didn't we think of that? That's not how this works. And you're going to see that, I think, a little clearer tonight in the place we're in in Revelation. But we want to be thankful for God. If God, if uh, we want to be like Job, he said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And, you know, Job had it all and lost it all. And he's uh, like Dave Ramsey, I guess. <laughs> But uh, a lot worse than Dave Ramsey. We hear his testimony. He had it all and lost it all a couple times maybe. But Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And he kept his faith because he said a statement that just, it makes my skin want to just dance when he said, though I die and the worms eat my flesh, yet in the last days I will see my Redeemer. He had the kind of faith that we all need, right? No matter what we're facing. So let's give thanks. Lord, we thank you for your love and mercy. We thank you for all you've done. We, we don't have enough hours to, to uh, say everything you've done, Lord, but we ought to take time and reflect on all the goodness that's come our way. Uh, and if, it, if that goodness stopped tonight, Lord, you've been more than faithful, more than compassionate. You've been so merciful, long-suffering, full of love, joy, everything we've needed. In an abundance you've given us, Lord. And we just thank you for that. We thank you for all the things you're doing in the now. We thank you for all the things you've done in our past. And we thank you for the things that are coming our way. And we look forward to the day where we can see you, Jesus, and uh, kneel at your feet and worship you and give you the praise and admiration that you deserve. We thank you for all you've done. May we not take anything for granted. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's go into Revelation chapter 8. Here probably in a couple of weeks we'll do an, uh, an outtake just on the Antichrist. We've done a couple of those so far. We're just little outtakes on specific things. But let's, uh, let's get into chapter 8. Now, as I told you last week, uh, the Lord's taken over now. And if, if the world thinks dealing with the devil's tough, then they need to just stick around and get left behind and see what it's like dealing with an awesome just God. Because all of His judgment comes from perspective of righteousness and truth. He cannot do any wrong. So, And then He's created angels and some of these creatures that exist to bring this judgment. That's part of their job. And so God switches in the middle of this tribulation period or close to the middle here where he goes from redemptive, he's still being redemptive, he's not exclusive, but now he's primarily being redemptive. We see pockets of his judgment occasionally, but now he's going to be punitive. And there's still going to be people coming to Christ during this tribulation period, but a lot of God's work is beginning to be punitive. He's judging. And uh, so we saw that last week, we're going to pick up with that again uh, this week, and God's judgment, like I said, is in righteousness and truth. And for God to be righteous, judgment must be a part of that. He cannot tolerate sin. Now, if you think God tolerates sin, we're living in a different realm than Him. And we, there's something that's going to be said tonight in part of our study that I think will catch your attention about that. 
God is not tolerant of sin. Had He been tolerant of sin, He would have never allowed His Son to be nailed to a tree. God don't tolerate. When people, God is not a tolerant God. God is a merciful God. There's, there are two different things. And so for God to be tolerant, if He tolerated sin, He would have never nailed His Son to a tree, but it allowed that to happen. So let's look at chapter 8, verse 1 says, When He opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And um, there's been a lot of jokes made about that. People just trying to say things that are funny. But really what's happening here, I believe everybody's breath's being taken by what they're getting, they're seeing coming. Nothing else to say. The first time I saw the Grand Canyon, that's how I felt. It was like really nothing to say. It's like, whoa, so powerful. Uh, and this is way, way greater than that. So it said, he opened the seventh seal. There was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Uh, you could, uh, he said, and I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. See, we've talked a lot about the number seven. It's completion, perfection. God does, he's built his whole plan on seven, the seven festivals, the seven days, seven years. You can go on and on, so much sevens. Uh, he says, then another angel having a golden censer came and stood by at the altar he was given much incense that he would not that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. So these prayers, and you know the prayer journey, the model we have where this uh, incense altar is where we make our petitions. And here, that's what's happening, these prayers. And if you remember some of the previous chapters, they were saying, how long, Lord? You know, they were praying for God to bring judgment, to uh, redeem. And he's starting to do that here with his judgments. Uh, he, he's given this incense and, uh, and the prayers of the saints upon the altar was before the throne. The smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar and threw it to the earth. Now, there's some level here that we're understanding that prayers are part of the, what's making this happen. Your prayers and my prayers are important. And that's probably the least thing we do. We all pray a lot of ambulance prayers, right? Ambulatory, is that the way to say that word? Prayers when something, oh man, we better pray about that. But just to have this constant Prayer, this constant communication with God, spending time with Him. We talked a little bit about that Sunday. This angel is, seems to be, this is part of the makeup that's causing what we're getting ready to see. The angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, threw it to the earth, and there was noise, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. An earthquake. Now this altar, remember when Moses made the tabernacle, and then later it became the temple as they kept building, right? But that was made according to the pattern of what was in heaven. So we see this altar, right? This altar in heaven where this fire is get, gathered from. So what Moses made with this tabernacle, we might want to throw that up there if we can. What Moses made with this tabernacle is what he saw in heaven, right? So this is the layout that we use for our prayer journey. So all these pieces of furniture and this stuff that Moses got from God, just like he did the Ten Commandments, this stuff is maybe not in the same scale, of course. We know heaven's grander and all that. But God has, has an altar there. Obviously, the angel's getting this from the altar, and he threw it to the earth, and there were noise and thunder. So God has got a tabernacle or a layout, I shouldn't maybe not call it a tabernacle, a layout for how his, around his throne, around heaven, things that are symbolic that Moses brought into the earth so the people of God could see how to approach God. So that's basically what we're talking about here. And let me just step into this for a minute. So, and we're going to get into this more extensively after we get out of Revelation, but there. This prayer, a lot of people complain about prayer. I, don't, I run out of things to say. Well, not if you'll do this, you won't. 
You'll wind up spending time with God, and that's what we want to do. You come through the gate with thanksgiving, the court with praise, and you get to this altar where you uh, confess, where you repent. And then you wash yourself with the Word of God. You speak the Word of God over. This is all part of prayer. The other problem with people's prayer lives is they run in, they run straight to the uh, altar of incense and skip all the other stuff. And so they just want to run in and tell God what they think they are, what they need and what they'd like to see God do. And if they're brazen enough, they'll tell him when to do it. Uh, and then that's all their prayer life consists of, just running in and telling God what they'd like for him to do or praying for uh, aunt uh, whoever or, or uncle whoever and just run back out. No relational time. No time of, of letting, being bathed with the Holy Spirit with God's Word. And see, the reason this journey is important when you pray is first thing, you want to get anything that's between you and God out of the way because it'll interfere with this journey, this prayer time. Then you want to get yourself focused on the Word with that labor there. That's what that represents. Then I call it having a cup of coffee with God over there at the uh, uh, showbread table. Then the Holy Spirit represented by the menorah or the candlestick illuminates us, right? He takes our journey brings us in. And what did James say? He said, you don't receive when you pray because you ask amiss. And the reason we ask amiss is because we just run in emotionally, right? If you want to get emotionally charged, you need to go to a children's hospital. You won't be broken anymore anywhere else on this planet than going to a children's hospital. You walk into a children's hospital and there's a two-year-old with not a hair in its head because it's got cancer. And it just not long out of the womb. It'll break you to the ground to go into a children's hospital. And watch what some of those little children have to go through, and they don't even know what's going on. We get emotional, right? And I get emotional too. You get emotional about that stuff, and that's how we pray, because we get emotional. But we're not praying according to the will of God. God don't move because of need. If He moved because of need, there wouldn't be any. There wouldn't be anybody in the hospital in Danville tonight if, if all it took for God to move was a need because every one of them have a need. God moves by faith. And when we pray, we need to pray according to His will, not ours. And so as you get through here, if you quit running past all the furniture and running back there, that's why we pray and don't get our prayers answered a lot of times. We pray amiss because we, we pray our will. We pray based on emotion, Right? I'm tore up about this three-year-old with cancer. God, why aren't you? Well, first of all, God's not going to be torn up about anything. But we get emotional and we can't see why God ain't as emotional about it as we are. But God don't move by any of that. And I hate to burst people's bubbles. And I, I tell you, it's traumatic to go into a children's hospital. And I have to go sometimes. But you, it, it, that's not what moves God. You watch the commercials like I do. You watch these children starving to death in Africa. It's very emotional. But God moves by faith, and that's what we're supposed to do. It's impossible to please God by faith. Without faith, I mean. It's impossible to please Him without faith. And so your prayer time, your study time, all that's designed to draw you closer to God, the closer you get to somebody, the more confidence you have in them, right? The more you learn their ways, right? The more you learn their voice. Because of my job here standing behind this pulpit, most of you, you could be three aisles over from me in Walmart and know it's me because you've heard my voice enough. That's how we want to be with God. We want to get that close to God. We want to spend enough time with Him to where if He's in Walmart, I don't know if God goes to Walmart, but uh, he, he does. I'm teasing. He's everywhere, right? But uh, <laughs> I don't know if He goes at Christmas time. I just put it that way. <laughs> but we want to have that kind of relationship with God where we don't want to always say our whole life, well, I don't know when God's talking to me. We don't, we, don't want to be, we don't want that to be our lot our whole life. We want to grow. We want to be close to Him, spend time. And know this, God doesn't do anything apart from His Word. The Bible says the Spirit and the Word agree. So if you're getting some signals that are contradicting this or not lining up with this, that's not God. That's the devil or 
maybe whoever, but it's not God. So this angel is dumping this off from the altar, uh, and you see kind of how that's laid out. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets, um, and let me go back to this. There were thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. This, what I'm getting ready to refute, re- read to you is going to refute global warming, or what do they call it now, climate change, whatever. They'll change it again next year. But what you're getting ready to hear is going to refute all that. Because what you're getting ready to see is God judging the planet. And all this stuff's still here when he starts judging it. We can't destroy the planet. We don't own it. It don't belong to us. It belongs to God. So the first angel sounded in hell and fire followed, mingled with blood. And, there were, and they were thrown to the earth. And the third of the trees were burned up, and all grass was burned up. They're going to be here when the Lord starts pouring out His judgment. We're not going to destroy it. This is a picture of what happened in Egypt. If you are an Orthodox Jew, I didn't say a Messianic Jew, but if you're an Orthodox Jew, a practicing Orthodox Jew, you see Egypt as a forerunner to the end of time. And what's happening for God's people, and, and we're now part of God's people. We've been grafted into the trunk, according to Romans 11, right? What Paul taught, who was a Jew himself. We've been grafted in. Thus, Gentiles been grafted into the same tree, and they'll be regrafted in, he said, if they don't remain in unbelief, right? He said all that. So, but they, if you're an Orthodox Jew and you believe in the Torah and the Old Testament, they don't practice the New Testament if they're an Orthodox Jew then you see Egypt as a foreshadow or a type of the end of time. So God's people exited out of Egypt through uh, all these plagues and stuff were going on, and that's what's going to happen in the end of time. God's people are going to exodus out of this system, this world system, and out of the earth as we know it and go into the presence of God, and then and we'll get to this in our study, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. So they would see, and that's why these plagues are reminders. And you're going to see probably next week, you're going to see these two witnesses, Moses and Elijah, uh, who had power uh, in the Old Testament. They're going to have that same power in our earth very soon. It's going to be amazing what those guys are going to be doing uh, until their time's up. So a third of the trees were burned up. All grass was burned up. So all this stuff is still around, right? It's still around. And guess who's destroying it? God, not man. Now, the second angel sounded and something like a great, mount, uh, like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood. Now, that's, uh, there's you some global warming right there. But the Lord's the one that's in charge. He's got a plan. The earth cannot be destroyed by man because it would thwart God's plan. And God's plan always is going to happen. And it doesn't matter what we do. God, and you're going to see that clearly in these two chapters. And a third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed. So now we're starting to see God just start wreaking havoc. Now, I've said this many times. The, the weather is the one place that God still lets us know who's in charge, right? I mean, if it dumps two feet of snow, we got to deal with it. If the floodwaters wash uh, whole communities away, we have to deal with it, right? If the heat gets up to 105 degrees, we have to find a way to deal with it. We can't change it. And God still lets us know who's in charge with the weather. Then I heard a third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on the third of the rivers, and the springs of water. And the name of this star was Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died from the water. And I've, uh, I can't remember exactly how to say this word in the Greek. Abacinte. Uh, Abacinte. And this is Wormwood. And it's a bitter, er, bitter, it's like bitterness. It's what it's trying to express like a, uh, uh, there is some some country, I think France uses something along these lines in one of their alcoholic beverages or their liquor. 
in an intoxicating way. So wormwood has a very bitter sense of taste, <clears throat> something that we would not enjoy if it got into the water system. But now what's happening? Chaos is ensuing, right? Because the earth is being messed with and all of its vital functions and man is at, at, at earth's mercy, right? We, we really are. We, even today we are, right? You can't, uh, when the weather changes, we have to navigate through it if, if we can. And some places you can't. Like when a flood comes, you're stuck. Wherever you're at, you're stuck until the water recedes. And it says, a third of the waters became wormwood, and many men died from the water. And so we know that some of the stars are radioactive, so there's probably more to the wormwood than what we understand in our culture, in our world, to what's coming from outer space. Uh, many men died from the water because it was made bitter, and it had obviously is made poisonous. Then the fourth angel sounded. Now, think about that. Everybody's got left that's left in the seven years of tribulation. They're starting to have to deal with everything. You had a, we saw the Antichrist come in subtly. Now, he's getting ready to turn on the world as well. And he's seeing all this devastation because God's pouring all this wrath out from heaven. The fourth angel sounded, and the third of the sun was struck and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened. Now, that's going to change everything. That's going to affect things growing. That's going to affect the light of day. Everything's, going to, everything's getting messed with now. And uh, I think they said if uh, the big one blew out, out west, uh, that it, it could cover the whole United States with a cloud where the sun couldn't be seen for a long time. So those fault lines, those volcanoes, I think probably a lot of those, if you've read some of that and keep up with it, a lot of those are starting to get active again. I think all that's part of the end of time. And, uh, and the best thing we can understand about hell is that it's in the center of the earth and uh, because that, that's where probably the, the lake of fire would wind up being that molten. That's what the lake of fire would be like, would be like molten lava. Now you imagine, and I, I want to be blunt here, you imagine living in eternity in molten lava. You imagine that. Imagine going into eternity and being cast into the lake of fire where that we, we see lava and what it does and how it runs like water. Now I'm going to be blunt because we need to know the reality of everything, right? That means somebody in the lake of fire, that it will be going in their ears. It will be going in their eyeballs. If they open their mouth. Now, how important is it for us to win souls? I mean, it's, that's devastating to think about the torment that's coming for people who refuse to follow the Lord, who refuse to do things His way. And so Isaiah said, the heaven's not getting any bigger. The Bible gives us those dimensions, the new heaven, the 1,500-mile square, basically. But Isaiah said, hell's enlarging its borders because it's having to accommodate, I guess, so many people coming that way. Everybody says, that's what the preacher thinks. That could be what's happening when we're having earthquakes and things. Hell's having to enlarge its borders. Just some food for thought. Uh, we got a God that's in charge. And He laid out plain rules. Now, the one who made everything has the authority and the jurisdiction to do, set the rules however He wants to. Beneficial for us, He's righteous, so He don't do any wrong. You know, if, if we live by God's ways, we wouldn't need a law. Just think about this. What if they had a show years ago about a guy who couldn't lie? I remember seeing that. So, What if nobody could tell a lie? What if we could just stop that one sin? That would be a changer, wouldn't it? That would change the world in a lot of ways. So we, God gave us a way, God set up boundaries for us, and whatever we love, 
we set up boundaries for, don't we? So stick man, I'm already missing my board a little bit. I can. <laughs> stick man is put in boundaries because of love, right? God set up boundaries for stick man. And it's not like God don't let us have fun. I mean, he, he's got plenty of things that we can enjoy in life. We just need to enjoy them the way he designed them and the way he set up the parameters. When we get outside, when Stickman comes out here, he puts himself at risk, right? Now, if you are a parent or a grandparent or responsible for people, you do the same thing. We set up boundaries for things we love, don't we? And sometimes it's beyond people. Sometimes it's a pet or whatever, right? You set up a boundary because there's some level of affection for that pet or whatever. But when it comes to children or people, we've got boundaries set up because of love. You don't tell your child, don't worry about looking both ways, just run on across the street. We don't tell them that. We set up boundaries for them. And so God's no different than that. He sets up boundaries for us. So he says, this angel, the, the sun and moon, everything's a third dark. And then I looked and I heard the angel flying through the midst of heaven saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. So even the angels are like, man, this is going to be bad. I mean, they, uh, they're in a spot to where they are seeing all this and actually a part of it. It says, Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star falling from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key uh, of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace so that the sun and air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke, locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power, and they were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or eat any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. So God is just unleashing, but you're going to see at the end of this chapter how this turns out. I can't really understand the arrogance of men. Now, if you remember, uh, when Jesus cast the demons out of that dude, they begged him not to send them here. Remember that? Into the abyss. They said, just put us in the pigs. We'll make deviled ham. Uh, I'm tired of that joke. We're all tired of that joke. I don't know why it come out. Must be the medication I'm on. I don't know. <laughs> but they, they didn't want to go here. The devil's going to wind up here for a thousand years during the millennial. But as they open this pit, here come these locusts, some supernatural uh, sci-fi looking locusts that are not killing. They're just tormenting. And their natural diet, he withholds them from. If a locust comes, if you ever remember when the locusts, it's been several years ago when the locusts came through, they could destroy areas. Uh, but they're forbidden to eat their normal diet. They're told to go torment these men. And it says they were tormented. The torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days, men will seek death and will not find it. Interesting. They shall desire to die and death will flee from them. Wow. Wow. The shape of the locust was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns or of something like gold. Their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair. Their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. 
So what God has created and what He has, and some of that He's using now to bring judgment. Let me ask you something. How severe should God's judgment be? Knowing how men and women have treated the free gift of His Son and how He was... And listen, when you look back in the Scripture, if you go back to the cross and how they treated Jesus, or you go back to the garden, just put yourself there too. We, should, we, would, we are there. We would have been in that crowd too. We had to be born again. We had to be saved. We had to be set free. And so these guys are uh, doing the will of God, these breastplates, wings. They had tails like scorpions. And there were, their sting, there were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men five months. They had as a king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon. But in Greek, he has a name Apollyon. It means destroyer. He's, he's a destroyer. So God's releasing, He's releasing uh, things from heaven, but He's also releasing things that have been stored up in the earth. And some of these are on the dark side, we're going to see. And probably this guy is from the dark side who's coming out, he's a destroyer. Now, God just once again lets us know who's in charge. The Bible said God sent evil spirits to torment Saul. Remember King Saul? And so, in other words, God can whistle and all the demons have to come running and He can tell them what to do. Right? Now, that's what happened with Pharaoh. A lot of people, when they look at Pharaoh, it bothers them. They think, well, how, come, how is it fair for God to harden his heart? You need to read the whole story. Because when it first started out, Pharaoh was just act, not going along with the plan, but he was using the word Lord that let us know that he knew who he was. He, 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 was, he revealed himself. So it wasn't like Pharaoh didn't know who God was because of the name he was using in the Hebrew there. He was telling us he knew who he was. He just kept resisting it. And so God said, okay, if you're going to go that way and you refuse me, I'll just use you that way. That's what's, that's kind of troubling to realize that people can get in a reprobate state with God where God can say, okay, that's how you want to live. I'll just use you that way. And that's what's happened to a lot of these demons who Peter said who chose not to keep their first estate. They left. They're in that realm. But God still has all the power and authority over them. That never changed. They're just on the wrong side now. And so God can still say, he can whistle and the demons come around and he can say, you guys go over there and do this. He, he can tell them he still has full jurisdiction. And so this angel's coming out of this pit he was locked up. Who had the key? They had it in heaven. Right? So he was stuck until the angel from heaven come and unlocked the place. And now he's part of the purposes of God. See? So that's how God, he's, he's awesome. <laughs> he really is awesome. So Abad and Apollyon and one woe has passed, but uh, still two more woes are coming after these things. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release, think about this, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So somewhere over there, these four angels are bound. Uh, I, I can't remember exactly where, let, let me just read this, and then we'll come back to that thought. These four angels have been prepared for an hour. He said, release these four angels who are bound in the great, uh, the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and the month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Four angels. That is incredible. Four angels. Vehement angels. Angels that God had to keep chained up or the world wouldn't survive. 
and he's going to turn them loose to do some damage because that's what the earth has brought on themselves for refusing God. You want to know what the worst thing you can do in your life is? Refuse God. In what, preacher? Anything. Anything. Now, he's long-suffering, and he's merciful, and he's patient. But sometimes that comes to an end. So these angels are released from the bottom. You're afraid, but if you go over there fishing, you better be careful where you fish. And there, look what it says. They've been prepared for, prepared for an hour, a day, a month, and a year. God's plan's on time. Nothing's changed it. It'll happen exactly like he said it would. Now, the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat in them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow. And the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions. And out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed. By the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and their tails. For their tails are like serpents having heads and with them they do harm. So what we, what the world prognosticates or ventures out in with sci-fi type stuff, that stuff kind of stuff's coming. God can make anything. He can make a creature with four heads. Remember that? In Ezekiel. He's got all kinds of creatures, stuff we don't even know about, things we've not heard of other than what we read about in the Scripture. And I'm sure there's more things that we don't know anything about. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not, look at this, did not repent of their works, of the works of their hands that they should worship demons, idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And that's one of, I don't know how much of this I brought up. We talked about Dan not being one of the tribes mentioned last week and uh, maybe relating to their slothfulness a little bit. But they were also, them... And Ephraim, and if you know, remember when we studied, um, was it Hosea we studied, whatever, whichever book we studied a few months ago, when God referred to Ephraim, he was referring to the whole northern kingdom at that point. Ephraim and Dan were the two worst tribes for idolatry. And if you want to know what God really hates, it's idolatry. Uh, until I read Isaiah thoroughly again about 20 years ago, I would have said this from the pulpit. I would have said that sexual immorality is the last straw before God judges a nation. But when I read Isaiah, I realized it's the next to the last thing that happens. The thing that happens after sexual immorality in its extreme form like we see in our own country is idolatry. And you notice we're dabbling now as in America in idolatry. We're starting to allow false gods and false idols be put up in some of our cities. We got a, they had an arch to Baal, the god of Baal in New York not too long ago. I don't know if it's still up. We got idols and things in this country and we've allowed people who worship false gods all in the name of freedom to build their temples in our land. So you go to Saudi Arabia and try to build a Christian church, you'll wind up in jail at the very least, probably. But, you, but we, the, what happens when you get so stooped in sexual immorality, like countries have and do and like America's doing, if you're going to stay there because you have a conscience, and some of the things we do, especially the way this has run its course toward children, you got to find a God that's okay with that to stay involved in that. So what happens is people turn to idolatry. Because when you read about these gods in the Old Testament and even today, that's their whole, the whole premise, I'm going to say this as loud as I can, the whole premise of Islam is built on sexual pleasure. 
they tell these guys and these girls, and we can't even talk about what they tell the women, but they tell these guys, basically, if you'll go blow yourself up uh, and kill some Jews or some Christians or somebody who's an infidel, that's out, then you got 70 virgins waiting on you. That's their reward. That's all sexual. That's all flesh. And that's that, that whole concept about Islam is flesh and sexual immorality. And if you read some of the histories of these guys, including Mohammed, you'll find out what I'm telling you is the truth. And if you read some of the documented stories of these guys, how they treat women, how they'll marry them and take them on a business trip just to have sexual pleasure with them and bring them back home and divorce them. That happens today. It's horrendous, but it's all built on that. So what has to happen is because your conscience, right, as before it gets seared with a hot iron, you got to find gods that are okay with that. And you start reading these, researching these Old Testament gods, most of what they were built around was sexual immorality. That's why Paul had to work over the Corinthian church so bad because they had let the world creep in. And if you went in Corinth in those days, they would advertise with underage prostitutes on the top of some of those temples that were to pagan gods, young boys, young girls. And some of that was starting to creep its way into the church. So when you get in a culture like that, you got to have a God that's okay with it because everything that our God, the only true and living God, speaks against that, right? So think about how God feels when you take a piece of wood of a tree that He created, right? God made the tree. We take the tree that God made, and Isaiah says this, cut it down, hew out a God, quote unquote, out of that log, and then Isaiah goes on to say it this way. He said, you go make your God out of this tree and then you take the residue or what's left of the tree and you burn it in a fire. And Isaiah's like, think about that for a minute. The very substance you made this God out of, you have enough power over to destroy it. If, if it had been around and Isaiah had been saying, here's your sign. Here's your sign. <laughs> How stupid is that? To create this false god out of a piece of wood and then take the rest of the wood and burn it. That's, that's your lesson, right? The very same substance that you are bowing down in front of, you're destroying over here. It's the same substance. And Isaiah's trying to get them to think through that. But then you come down. What's more of a slap in the face than to bow down in front of a false idol and say, I thank you for feeding me. I thank you for hanging the sun out. I thank you for life. That's a slap in God's face to get in front of a false God or an idol and act like that thing sustains us. And that's when God says, when nations are given over to idolatry, that's when he comes in and destroys. That's what's kept us as a land from being destroyed because there's a lot of horrendous things going on in this nation. But that's kept us from being destroyed because we've not been fully given over to idolatry yet. And I'm praying that that day don't happen until we're out of here. But that's what caused Israel to be destroyed. When they were given over to idolatry, he, they, God said, I'm taking you out of here. I'm destroying you. And that's, that's when Elijah started seeing the problems, right? And he started praying that it wouldn't rain because they were given to idolatry. And he stood on God's word when he prayed. And we see that in the book of James. So when you're given over to idolatry, that's when you're getting ready to get judged. And then God said, when I send you home this last time, one of the prophets said, there won't be any more idolatry. And that's true. You can go in Israel, there's no idolatry. Now, they got all the other things of the flesh, like other, other but there's no idolatry. God said, when I bring you back this time, no more of that business. They're waiting on their Messiah. They missed him the first time, but they'll catch him the second trip. Your whole Bible's built around that, right? Jesus is coming, and Jesus is coming. He's coming the first time to die in our place, the second time to deliver us. So he says, The rest of mankind who were not killed these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons, idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood. So when somebody's worshiping a false god, I don't care if it's Islam or uh, uh, Hinduism, or 
Buddhism, and I just want to give a little bit of credit to Buddha. Buddha never claimed to be deity. They made him deity 700 years after he was gone. He said, he just said he went to both extremes. I tried this extreme, that extreme. He said, I'm going down the middle now. And then they made him a god, quote unquote, afterwards. But whatever the false religion is, demons are behind that. The devil, some of his greatest work is deception. So he don't care what you and I get caught up in. He's not trying to make everybody a drug addict or any of that. He's just, he just wants you to put something in front of God. He don't care if it's a false idol. He don't care what it is. Said they worship demons. They neither hear, uh, could see uh, nor hear nor walk. So these false gods are propped up by demons, demonic activity. So people who are worshiping false gods are serving they're, they're worshiping demons. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Now, that, those four things are the biggest problem we have in, in America. Those four things. Don't you think it's uh, really pretty awesome that God mentions the four things that the world will be dealing with the most in the last days? There they are. Sorceries, the word sorcery is pharmakia. It's where we get the word pharmacy. The last four times, the four times the word sorcery is used in uh, Revelation, it's the Greek word pharmakia or a form of it, pharmakeo. Pharmakia is where we get the word pharmacy. God's referring to drug addictions here. He knew that what the world would be dealing with. He knew it in the last days. I love that about God. It gives me so much confidence to know that he's already been around the corner before I get there. And I found that out firsthand 17 weeks ago. He has already been around the corner before we get there. And he's so, you notice what's going on in America. Murders. And does anybody, has anybody noticed in the last 10 years how many murders happen in Lexington, Kentucky? Lexington. We're right on the heels of Louisville now. Uh, some high stores have had to close their doors in certain communities in Lexington. So murders, we see that. There's somebody on the news every night for murder, seems like, in this state that we live in. Sorceries, pharmacia, drug excessiveness, drug addictions, sexual immorality, what we just talked about earlier, and thieving. Look at the rise of, of thefts in this country. I mean, just brazen thefts. Uh, I saw a report yesterday, and, and, I, and I, I like Chicago. I'm a fan of Chicago. I, I've been going there for years, meeting with the Jews and doing business with Israel. We have meetings in Chicago. There's a large contingent of, of Orthodox Jews in, in Chicago, some of which are my friends. But a third... Has anybody ever been to Magnificent Mile? It's the mile where all the stores and restaurants, a third of them are gone now because they're just, they can't keep the thieves out. They just, I saw where, I heard a report today where Lowe's is going to put something on tools. They're trying to put something on tools to where it, the tool's not activated until it's purchased. That's where we're at. How many of you all grew up where you could leave and go to town and not even lock your doors? Yeah. I come home a many day from school and there's nothing. The only thing closed was the screen door and that's just to keep the flies out. Right? I mean, the, the world has changed. I, read my, I, ran, I rode my bicycle all over the place. I wouldn't let my grandchildren do that now. Not even in the little towns we live in. Life has changed. But if you think about these four things here, that's, these are the big problems in America. Pharmacia, drugs, sexual immorality, murder, and thefts. And let me take murder just a little bit further before I quit. Murder, Jesus said, we can murder somebody with our tongue. Do you want to know who some of the biggest murderers are? Politicians. They murder one another. It's sickening to me. They murder each other with their own tongues. Murder them. Speak evil of them. 
And Jesus said, we can murder somebody with our tongue. And this thing's a little bit more, like I said Sunday, it's a little bit more serious with Jesus than sometimes it is with us, right? He said we could murder with our tongue. He said we could look upon a woman lust after and commit adultery in our heart. I mean, he, when people get to the New Testament, they think, they say things like, well, the standard, the standard didn't drop at all. <laughs> if anything, the standard shifted up a gear. When he said you could murder somebody with your tongue, they didn't have that in the Old Testament. What happened was the strength and the ability to live right became stronger in the New Testament. The standard didn't drop. If the standard dropped, then God does change. He don't change. He just made a way for us to be able to please Him and be strong through the, the sacrifice of His Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what changed, but the standard didn't drop. And for the people that look at the New Testament and think the standard dropped, you're badly mistaken. The standard didn't drop. How, they, the Lord killed two people right off the bat in the church house. Dropped them dead, Ananias and Sapphira. The standard didn't drop. But the way to please God, we had more strength. We had the availability of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit only showed up for a moment, for a task in the Old Testament. He would come. Uh, Paul writes about him and said how Isaiah was moved by the Holy Spirit when he prophesied and wrote. But, and the Holy Spirit would show up for tasks. But in the New Testament... He was given to us to live inside of us. So that's what's changed in the New Testament. So these, these things are what's destroying the world right here. These four things is what's causing our, our, our own nation to be in so much trouble. And so we need to be praying for our nation and praying for our leaders, praying for God's will to be done. We're on the verge of the end of time. The hourglass is running out. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. We thank you for all you've left us so that we would not be in the dark. You said that that day wouldn't overtake us as being unawares because we're children of the light. And so we thank you for all the light you've given us. We thank you for your word. We ask you to help us to do your will. And we, are, we want you, Lord, to find us faithful. We've, we've found you faithful. We want you to find us faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.